chapter 12, in which I learned the name of a dwarf. Mother stormed away ahead of me, practically jogging to keep up, I pulled at her sleeve, but alas, she would not be slowed. Over the uneven boards she stormed, past the huddled groups of dwarves, she marched all the way back to the inn, with her hands balled into fists. All the while I jogged behind her, I could barely recognise my mother, she was so angry. A strange power seemed to radiate from her, a power so fierce that I saw several dwarves we passed visibly back into doorways. Once we made it back to the inn, Mother stormed through the curtain, up the stairs, and slammed the door to our room behind her, before I'd even started to climb the stairs. I felt hot tears run down my grimy cheeks, and heard a voice speak beside me, a gruff voice with a sprinkling of kindness. But now a hint of mystery was present too. Or was it menace? Come, little goblin, I think your mother needs a little time. It was the dwarf again. I turned to face him, ready to roar. I now knew he'd been following us that day. I had no proof, but I was sure he'd made certain no ship would offer us passage to Navazan. But turning to face him, I felt my anger fade away like water draining from a sink. It's a funny thing. It's an awful lot easier to be angry at someone or something you can't see. Much easier to be angry at an idea or a perceived slight than an actual being. Come, little goblin, he repeated. His voice was softer now. Come and sit by the fire a little while. Your mother will come down soon enough. Reluctantly, I allowed him to guide me by my shoulders back through the curtain and be seated in one of the soggy armchairs I'd sat in the night before. Firstman, called the dwarf, bring me some milk. He lowered himself into the armchair next to mine, pulled a bronze coin from his pocket, and turned to face me. I pointedly turned away, desperate to look at anything besides his stupid glasses. I surveyed the room, and noticed something that I hadn't spotted when Mother had stormed through the room. A hooded figure slumped on the floor, the figure looked as though they were sleeping, their chest rising and falling gently as they breathed. There was something about this figure that made me feel uneasy, an aura about them, a dormant, unbridled power, present even as they slept on the floor of an inn. Suddenly, feeling that the dwarves' stupid glasses were a preferable sight to be looking at to this strange figure, I turned to face him. Don't worry about them, little goblin, he nodded at the hooded figure. I know them well enough. They'll do you no harm. I wasn't worrying about them, I snapped. He chuckled at that. I sense, little goblin, that you might be a little angry with me. I said nothing, and Flissman chose that moment to arrive with the milk. There we go, said the dwarf with the glasses. Put it there, Flissman. Good lad. Flissman placed the steaming mug on the table between the dwarf with the glasses and me before shuffling back through the curtain. What I can promise you, little goblin, the dwarf continued, unperturbed by the one-sided nature of our conversation, is that in spite of your appearances, I am a friend. You can trust me, although I know better than most that trust can never be commanded, and only ever earned. So I'll sit here until your mother comes down, but I won't try to make you talk to me. With that, he leaned back into his chair and rolled the brass coin he had in his hands 
slipped over his knuckles and back the other way. As we sat there in silence, the dwarf with the strange glasses, rolling his coins over his knuckles, the hooded figure and me, a strange thing happened. I began to find myself desperate to talk to the dwarf, if only because the silence was making me feel increasingly uncomfortable. What's your name? I asked eventually, trying to sound indifferent and uncaring, although I probably sounded nervous and nosy. My name, little goblin? He replied, flicking his coin up into the air and catching it as he spoke. His hand down. Then, as the silence between us started to grow again, he spoke again. Would you like to know what it means? I nodded awkwardly. It's an old dwarfish name. It means traitor. Do you know how dwarves get their names? I shook my head. Would you like to know? I nodded. We aren't like you goblins, we aren't born with names. If we're a boy, they call us Garçon. If we're a girl, they call us Filon. Our names are given when it becomes clear who we are. That is to say, what we do, or what we are meant to be. He stopped speaking at that point, and rolled the coins across his knuckles again. So why are you called Handown? I asked. I trade. Handown paused before adding slowly. Or at least I used to. Therefore, I'm Handel. I wasn't sure I believed him, but also didn't think he was going to tell me any more just then. So I settled back into the armchair and sipped at the milk I'd been given. We talked for a long time, Handel and I. And as we talked, I learned about how the dwarves of Harfen had only lived by the lake for a dozen years or so. Before living in Harfen, they had lived beneath the distant mountain. But they too had been forced from it although for them it had been the mountain that forced their migration rather than else. The mountain had apparently summoned fiery spirits that command rivers of flames to chase the dwarves from their homes. When I asked Handown why the mountain had chased them from their homes, he simply shrugged and muttered something about the nature of dwarves and the nature of mountains that I didn't quite understand. As we talked, I noticed the hooded figure on the floor jerking this way and that, and on one or two occasions its spasms were so severe I thought it may bounce upright. Eventually the figure stirred awake, and noticing that there was a spare chair on the wall by the door, sat themselves in that chair, and stayed there, as still as a statue, waiting. Handown told me more about the history of the dwarfs, about how they'd had to readjust in the absence of a mountain and learnt to live on the water. He told me about how they'd learnt to sail. He told me about how, even in the dozen or so years that they'd lived in this idyllic little town upon the water, he noticed a change in himself and his fellow dwarfs. They were slimmer, he said, although they still looked considerably broader than any creature I'd ever seen before. They were faster, he said. They were more energetic, he said. But that was not all he said. He said that they were forgetting things too. Young dwarfs, like Flissmund, he said, couldn't even remember the mountains they'd once called home. As Handown spoke, I noticed a change in his voice. It had seemed to become coarser, as though it were a struggle to get each word out. In spite of my anger towards Handown for following us through Huffin that day, I felt an overwhelming pang of sympathy for him, and reached out to hold his shoulder to comfort him. At that moment, however, 
The curtain flew up and Mother marched into the room. Seeing Handown sat there seemed to enrage her even more than she had before. You, she roared, away from my child. You dare to talk to my child. You know who we are. Don't deny it. You followed us today. Don't deny it. You told all those ships not to take us. Don't deny it. You know all that we've been through and you've done nothing to help us. Mother paused for breath. And worse, you've actually stopped us from finding a passage out of here. When Mother had finally finished, she stood, somehow towering over Handown, with her chest heaving. Mrs Goblin, Handown spoke with the same gentleness to my mother as he'd spoken to me when he'd coaxed me from the bottom of the stairs. It is true I knew who you were. I don't deny it. It is true I followed you today. I don't deny it. It is true I made sure no dwarf would take you. I don't deny it. But I have helped you. True enough. You may have found a fool who would have taken you. But likely as not, you'd have ended up drowned. There's only one sailor in Athens skilled enough to take you to Navarzen. You know her name. He stopped talking at this point, and the hooded figure sat up from the chair that they were slumped in. As Mother turned to face them, they pulled down their hood to reveal that they too were a goblin, and spoke in a voice filled with a haunting melody. Hello, Sharon. Mother looked as though she'd seen a ghost. After a silence that seemed to stretch into a distant past, she finally whispered.